0: Gaming NBS episode 125. Welcome to Gaming NBS, a tabletop RPG podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sean.
1: I'm Brett. Welcome to the show. Welcome back, folks. Glad to have you with us. You know what, Sean? So I'm just gonna go right into it. I uh, I saw Rogue One. What? God, I'm a dick. But then again, maybe I'm lying because I'm really good at that. Right? Yeah. <laughs> God. Oh, just bleep, just bleep it out. It'll be fine. Anyway, let's move on before I uh, create greater tragedy. Yeah, hey, we should uh, make an
0: announcement. Uh, there's a new podcast in town. I heard.
1: Oh yeah, some dude, uh, hobby man or some, something.
0: Some some patron of ours or something. He some gives us money every itself. once in a while. You know, we, I think we've inspired more podcasts. I, I won't say we, but it's funny. I think sometimes they, people listen to us and go, God damn, if those guys can get on the mic and talk about dumb shit. I know I can do it.
1: Yeah, we're kind of the living example of, hey, if they can do it, anybody can. That's, yes. But I'll tell you what. So it's Mr. Hobbs. Uh, Mr. Hobbs Hobbs is one of the patrons of the show, a great all-around gamer, great guy. Had a chance to meet Mr. Hobbs at the Gamehole Con this last November. Um, when Sean and I are at GaryCon this upcoming March, we'll be happy to swig a beer with Mr. Hobbs and congratulate on him on his newfound success because it's uh it sounded pretty damn good.
0: Hey, everyone, and welcome to Hobbs and Friends of the OSR where we talk about OSR games and the games that we've played this week. I'm Jason Hobbs, and this week I'm chatting with Eric Hoffman, one of the duo of the Stormlord Publishing. Hey, Eric, what's going on? Hey, Hobbs, what's happening? It's early in the
1: morning, and this is our first episode, so who knows? It's going to be great.
0: <laughs> who knows,
1: indeed? And I guess, what was the inspiration? It was good. Hobbs uh, gave me, as I said last time, I kind of uh, gave him, well, in the spirit of Brett spoiling the fun for everybody, I mentioned that it was coming out, and I got a little taste of it ahead of time, so it was good. And uh, I'm glad to see it out there, and also the positive feedback that he's getting. So, I, uh, <clears throat> I said this to Sean, and I've said this to... Mr. Jason Snobbs, I believe, as well. But uh, his approach to the OSR when I spoke to him at GameholeCon, what I heard the first episode, this actually speaks to me more than some of the other OSRE podcasts that I've listened to. The only other ones that I really, only other one that I also enjoy quite a bit is Sanctum Sicorum, but that's more, it's appendix and reading uh, in connection to DCC. But uh, anyway, I really like it. So give a listen. I think it's definitely worth it. Yeah, let's
0: get into uh, Random Encounter.
1: Let's see if I can spoil something else.
0: <laughs> Random encounter, some email, email, emoils, voice moils, some comments from social media. Got a oh. couple, few this week. Uh, Brad, go ahead.
1: All right. Jeff emailed us. I was part of a long running game, five plus years, where he played the same character in a kingdom. At some point during it, he became a duke holding lands north of the kingdom that was just uh, that was just mountains. I had to decide what happened there at ten balls and decide where roads would go. It ended up working out pretty well. Uh, I had to work alongside other players to help build this kingdom and defeat it from threats. At one point, the Elf Queen asked my character to marry his daughter to bring the two kingdoms closer. That is cool. I believe this is in reference, of course, to our politics and legal discussion we had and uh politics can be a lot of fun, even if you have one character um his <laughs> Jeff's talking about a duke here when I uh used to play second edition back in high school and stuff. Uh, I had a friend of mine, um, had a character Tubrick Dilligan the third. He was the, he was a Duke. He attained this title. He was the only character in our three, uh, uh, PC group that wanted such a thing, but because of his political machinations and his fun there, we became like his Royal guard entourage type of thing. And, uh, ended up going on all sorts of little things, to help keep the duchy alive. <laughs> so it can be a lot of fun. And, um, there was uh, more than one offer of marriage to Mr. Uh, Tubrick dilligan the third it was quite it was quite fun so jeff thank you that's cool i love to hear that type of stuff
0: yeah thanks thanks jeff uh kevin keneally comments on g plus politics in role-playing games great episode fellas i especially enjoyed how punchy sean was at the beginning that's because i was ripped out of my mind kevin no
1: had i been sitting next to him today i think he would have punched me as soon as i started spoiling the movie (laughs) anyway carry on
0: (sighs) Anyways, you discuss factions within the party or how party members may belong to various factions. This is something that my group included in our Storm King's Thunder game. I don't know if we should read this because Storm King's Thunder is not that old. It's the most recent as of this recording. Fuck it.
1: Spoil it, man. All right.
0: <laughs> Let's if, do it. If you're if you're a Storm King's Thunder fan, word of player... Word of caution, just forward, I don't know, two minutes.
1: So this is what I should have done before I racked the Star Wars movie. You
0: you kind of should have, yeah. I started the game with the viewpoint of Laryl Silverhand and Elminster discussing how to tackle the giant problem. They decided to reform the Force Grey Company and change that group with seeking out rumors of giant activity in the North. Their character also included that Force Grey would be a group that the Lord's Alliance could ask for help. I also let my players know that their characters could be tied to any organization that they chose, but they had to keep in mind their affiliation to the Lord's Alliance. One party member chose to develop ties to the Zentrim through an alias and has done an excellent job of coming up with reasons to be gone from Force Grey for periods of time to look into Zenturim business. Another, play-
1: uh, sneaky.
0: Another player decided to have his warlock patron be Asmodeus and to play up that patron bond via being Asmodeus's son. I've enjoyed pulling and tugging <laughs> on that patron bond. DCC anyone? In order to make his life interesting and in setting up potential issues with the paladin in the group. The paladin in the group is a member of a knightly order and was sent to be the order's representative within Force Grey. The rest of the party gives him grief as he usually introduces the group as I am Garok, Knight of Samular, and Force Grey. All these faction affiliations have led to interesting role-playing opportunities and and ways to take Storm King's Thunder off in unusual directions. This has helped us uh, to keep the adventure fun for me as the DM as well. Thanks for the fantastic podcast.
1: Very cool. I think those types of things, um, we've talked about this before, I believe, on the mics about twisting a written um, adventure in order to include bits and pieces that are perhaps more fun or a different type of fun or something that keeps the group interested. And those types of things make, uh, I like that stuff because it doesn't take a lot of twisty and turning to add a couple of those components to it. So that's good stuff, Kevin. Well done, sir. All right. Next up, <clears throat> Forster Gary commented on G plus around politics. As always, great show, gentlemen. I'm co GMing a campaign world set in the world of Greyhawk. As the campaign got started, a party could tell that things between uh, could tell that things between two countries, the Horn Society and Ferundi, were getting touchy. The party was hired to find a kidnapped prince, which led them deep into the Horn Society, uh, a country with a high population of orcs, goblins, and so forth. Well, in the midst of that country, the party found themselves caught in a surprise invasion by Ayuz, by Ayuz the country to the north, led by the half demon named, of course, Ayuz. Caught between the demons and the deep blue sea, the party took refuge in the city of Critwall, further to the south, only to flee when the city's other refugees, uh, with the city's other refugees to the free city of Greyhawk. Along among good lord can talk among all of this, the party has seen their share of engineering, but the political happenings are always boiling in the background. At one point, I DM'd a one shot adventure with a group, having them play key characters from Greyhawk's history, Morden um, Valerius, Lanolin, and others, set by the legendary Circle of Eights to retrieve a gem from a ruined wizard's tower, which could be used to bribe a ruler of uh, Parenland, and influence him to budge from his vow of neutrality inside with what was left of Ferundi to hold off the hordes of Ayuz. After the one-shot, we returned to our main party, which was at that point headed for Kurtwall. By doing the side one-shot, the players, most of whom do not have much RPG experience, and only two of which really know anything at all about Greyhawk, were able to grok what was going on around them. By I understand the situation, they now know the quote-unquote stakes of the game. For example, they, now, um, they are now near the village of Port Greeley, up the coast from the city of Greyhawk, in my campaign at least, trying to rid the area of fishmen, i.e. Deep Ones, the only a couple players to figure this out. They have warned that Ayuz could make inroads just north of Greyhawk if the characters don't nullify the threat here. The thing is, the guy the fishman, Dagon, yes, that Dagon, doesn't care at all about Ayuz, but Ayuz wants to get in on the action of Port Greeley. To further complicate matters, Vecna, the supposedly dead and long-gone lich of legend, is making his way back and is pissed off at Ayuz. You can see where this is going, or maybe you can't, and maybe that's the point. So the party has had a direct effect on how things are going to shake out. And the other DM and I are just going to let things shake out. Who knows? Maybe Ayuz wins it all and the entire world is subjected to some dystopian rule by demons. Or maybe Vecna and his undead minions become totally dominant. Or maybe those who are fighting against Ayuz unite and drive the demons back to the abyss. Maybe Dagon gains power and invites his buddy Cthulhu over for a visit. Or maybe, sorry, this rambled on so long, but I wanted to share one of the examples of how rich a highly political campaign can be in just a top-level stuff. And this is just top-level stuff. The players have interacted with princes and paupers, merchants, guilds, sailors, priests, and bankers, and each interaction has had some influence in the world, however slight. The fun part is showing players down the road how their characters' actions have affected the city, the country, the entire world. We're having a lot of fun with this one. That's good stuff, man. Thank you, Forrest.
0: Yeah, Forrest, thanks a lot. I, uh, As a game master, uh, dungeon master, I would not be able to do that as well as you because I would get lost and forget how everything is tied together.
1: That is where I have now started to have to take more notes after a session. Like when it's still in my head, take notes, and then review said notes just before the session to remember just what the hell it was that I had planned to do. That's the only way I can do it now.
0: You know, the biggest problem with like those complicated plots, twists, relationships is not maybe just that overall connections to all the, to everything else. I think you'd have, to me, it would be the frequency of play or lack thereof. Like if I didn't play consistently, man, that stuff would, that'd be yeah, a problem.
1: If you got together once a month and tried to play that, that would be a little rough on you. Yeah. You'd be like,
0: what? Hey, who am I? Well, What's going the on? players aren't going to remember half of that if it's a month. Yeah. <sighs> Yeah,
1: they can. They can. Yeah, that could be rough.
0: Okay. Yeah. Uh, Michael Phillips uh, comments on G. One thing I tend to do with characters that are better at social stuff, so referring back to an episode where we do social encounters, says, is insert my intentions between my role playing. I say X and Y. My intention is to inspire reaction Z. I would say that if a player explains the clever thing they are doing to sneak, they ought to get a bonus, just like if they present a strong argument to go with a diplomacy role. I often play characters who can't sneak, but can certainly give other players a bonus on sneak checks because all eyes are on my distracting character, which is a good point.
1: I love that idea because if you are a gamer who is not comfortable, if you have listened to the Ed Greenwood interview, That we put out there where where Ed is talking about how everything that his his players say is in character unless they specifically say something like player to GM or player to player. If that's not something that's comfortable, some players are more comfortable saying like, look, I want to say something along the lines of blah. And what I'm trying to do is get this guard to let us through the city and um, ignore the fact that we don't have quite enough toll. We're a little bit short Um, or, or whatever the case is. I like that. I think that gives that explanation and so forth. Not everybody can has thespian talents. Not everybody can explain everything like that. You've got different skill levels at the table from players. But as long as they can articulate what it is they're trying to accomplish, I think you're in a better I think you're in a better spot, and uh, I've given away many a bonus like that. Oh, that's what you're trying to do. Oh, yeah, I see I see that. I see that. and then off you go. I like it. It's good stuff. Thank you, Michael.
0: Yeah, thanks to everybody who's written in. Much appreciated, Uh, Michael. Thank you so much. Uh, That wraps up Random Encounter. Let's get into the main topic. Do it.
1: What are we talking about tonight, Brett? Well, I want to talk a little bit about Wilderness Encounter, Sean. uh, I spent the other weekend out in the uh, nasty wet cold. With one of my boys taking down tree stands and stuff that I'd, I should have taken down earlier, but just didn't get around to, so went out took care of that. And through our little mud, I am muddling around, trying to get through creeks that had frozen, kind of not frozen, and so on, just trying to get to where I needed to go, I, th- I thought about it. I'm like, this is kind of uh, <laughs> the world this. It's not even that he- heavy duty of a wilderness, really. I mean, it's just um, a back eighty of a farm of a farm parcel. That just being in the woods at that point was quite difficult and pre- presented plenty of its own challenges. And I thought, you know what? It's uh, it's a good thing to talk about, just how to make those. We've talked weather and a few other things, but I think uh, we maybe dig a little bit deeper into the uh, the wilds outside the dungeon, outside the cities. What do you think? Yeah, man, let's do that. So, I mean, I just said it right. So, your wilderness environments, anything. I mean, I'm talking planetary in a space game, modern, whatever it is. Anytime you're Out in the woods, out outside of civilization, your weather issues and your gear and encumbrance, those are some of the things that immediately popped to mind. Oh, yeah, I can have a snowstorm. Oh, that's hell. I can have difficulty with that or heavy rain or um, (coughs) drought, blah, blah, blah. We talked about weather. And, you know, the living gear stuff I talked about with you a number of episodes back where we talked about ponies and henchmen and hirelings. How do you deal with that if you've got shitty uh, wilderness areas to travel through? However. I think there's some more kind of, in my opinion, some cooler stuff that can come out of it. So, I figured we'd uh, dig into some of those pieces. Do you so, have anything you want to cover before no, I go s- too far?
0: Sounds fantastic.
1: <laughs> That's what John sounds like. <laughs> I've
0: never been juiced up more about uh, wilderness encounters in all of my life.
1: You, you lie. Like I cover up my uh, my uh, spoiling of movies. I'm
0: I'm not lying, man. This is my, this is my honest face.
1: <laughs> <laughs> if anybody can see it right now, it's, it's not doesn't look that honest. <laughs> so, Sean, one of the things I like to do for fun when it comes to in, random encounters in the wild, right? Instead of just a wandering monster table, one of the things I like to do, and we talked a little bit about this about um, when we talk random encounters or uh, those types of things, is I've thought about over the years the number of bizarre things or interesting things I have stumbled upon. Either I've been looking for it. Or because I was looking for something else, I came upon a thing in the woods, in a swamp, up in hill country or whatever. It's really interesting what you can find and uh, what that tells you about the area. And um, what (laughs) when I've done this to players, what players will do with that information, assuming that it has something to do with the plot at hand, when in fact it just is something you've happened to found.
0: Maybe it's like maybe it's Brett (laughs) playing Pokemon Go. (laughs) It's <laughs> so, like, Brett's out there. He doesn't know what Pokemon he's going to come across.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> it's like going out there in the woods, going, holy shit, it's a freaking Pikachu. So, the last this last one, my, <laughs> my son AJ and I were out, and well, you shoot those.
0: Oh,
1: <laughs> excuse me. Pikachu are good eating. Yeah, good um, call. Good call. Um, we had to cross this annoying creek. And what had happened is that at one point, the water, because of all the rain we'd had here and a lot of the melt, there was a culvert that you could hop across this little Creek. Well, that had gotten picked up and thrown down the Creek a little bit into it got wedged in. You couldn't cross her anymore. She had to scoot down, wait across a little bit. I've got, you know, knee high boots on. So it's not a big deal. Carry my son across, get him over, drag the gear over. Um, And just like, what's that smell? I'm like, I don't know what that is. I look off to my left and just buried behind this little chunk of of a tree, I look over the side of it because the, the trees are all kind of built up in the in the creek bed where the water's trickling by. There's what's left of a deer carcass. There's hair and bones and uh, bits of flesh and stuff just kind of scattered around. And there's obvious coyote prints all over the place. I'm like, oh my God, I didn't even see that there. So <clears throat> AJ looks at me and being a game master's son goes, boy, that'd make a great monster encounter, wouldn't it? I'm like, yes, it would, son. Write that one down. But those, um, I have found bones of uh, various animals. I found most of at one time. I was out along a riverside. I found three snapping turtle skeletons, or or forms of different pieces of them. I've got chunks of the shell and the skulls and the the leg bones that I collected. Uh, I found a number of deer skulls, bucks and does. You find the regular tracks and so forth. And I was walking through. What's that? One time, I found a, I found a dead possum. No idea why it died. The body was just there, frozen, in the snow. And I've seen other dead animals and signs of that. And those types of things, it tells you a lot. As a hunter, you go through there. Anybody who spends time in the woods, you go through, oh, wow, there's a dead deer. There's canine tracks all over. I know there's coyotes here. I've seen them before. I bet it's a roadkill. You can see where they drug it off the side of the road. Oh, this is where it came down and so on. And then you take that and extrapolate that to, well, you've been sent out to find out what's been killing the cattle or whatever for the village, or you, even if you're on a strange planet, you don't quite know what it is, and you find the body of a thing eaten, fur, scales, whatever, torn off of it in this creek bed, what do, what do your players do with that? What do the characters do with that? That's a thing that can cause them to want to dig into the area more. What did it? Oh my God, is it dangerous? Was it just a regular carnivore or herbivore, predator, prey thing? Or was this uh, something a little more than that? Those things become interesting, or at least they have when I brought them up before. The other things I found, I found lost stuff. I I found a four-wheeler, a fully operating four-wheeler that some uh, kid was driving around. Lost it because it ran out of gas, and he had his deer gutted and hanging on the back of it. He had it all tied up. The only thing he didn't leave there was his gun, but his backpack, the deer, the four-wheeler, all of the extra clothes and his lunch from the day before was all sitting there in the middle of the woods. There was nothing around for like four miles in any direction. And my dad and like, what the hell? So that was interesting. Fine. Eventually we found out who it was and brought him to it and got it out of there. Um, I have found backpacks, just stuff apart from the usual garbage and detritus that people leave behind bottles and cans and shit like that. And I found some kind of cool things. Um, gun parts. Don't know how or why. Um, old buildings. I've gone through the woods, um, or swamps or whatever. And you come somewhere and there was a farm there at one point or somebody had built something and it's just dilapidated and fallen down. And that's where the raccoons are living. So those, those types of things pop out. So
0: my wife would say that's serial killer, uh, house. Could be serial killer. That's, that's where they live. Uh, rural Wisconsin dilapidated houses in the middle of nowhere with like windows cracked full of standing, you know. Structure, but yeah. you know, that's where the hills have eyes. People live, yep,
1: just so you know. Okay, well, it means I should probably stop going in those houses then. Huh? Well, bad for my health,
0: but maybe you
1: are. <laughs>
0: <The> <laughs> oh, s- oh, oh, I, I see, mean,
1: yeah, I don't, I don't know. Well, I'm bad enough to spoil movies, so God knows what else I'm capable of. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so those are. So, again, this is kind of harkening back again to our discussion about random encounters, but those types of things are not necessarily common, but they show up quite often, especially when you're not that far from civilization. You get 5, 10 miles into whatever bit of woods or wilderness you are away from civilization. People still have been through here, and they leave their tracks of some kind. And it can be more, <coughs> excuse me, than the goblins left a campfire. You find a goblin war axe leaning up against a tree. Someone forgot it, left it, packed up, left in a hurry. Does that war axe tell you the same uh, story that perhaps a burned out campfire wood or whatever the case is? So, again, I think it adds more color and it can, how do I do this? It basically it tells you more about what's around you, what's in the environment, or who comes through often or not. You find a backpack or that four-wheeler, as I said, in the woods. The deer hadn't been dead that long it was clearly out of gas. I tried to start it. Um, nothing. Okay, it can't be here that long. It's not overgrown. It's it hasn't snowed yet, so there's nothing hanging on it. Um, it's fairly recent. What happened? You know, that's kind of a Blair Witchy type thing. Almost <laughs> you find <laughs> just stuff in the woods <clears throat> where are the people. Here's the um, here's those
0: the, here's the problem with that stuff though, Brett. The player characters will like glob onto those things and they won't let go.
1: That's because you go back to side quest episode and you talk and you start hooking side quests onto that shit if you need to. If they absolutely refuse to to let go of the fact that there's a four wheeler in the woods and they're hunting a serial killer, and the FBI agents want to see what's going on with it, you know, have them find the old man and uh, and young and young kid as my father and I did, who are looking in the in the swamp trying to find out where the hell they lost it. Oh. And then that old man and kid have more data or information for them.
0: Oh, yeah. That's why Brett, so, you're such a you're such a much you're such a damn you're so much better DM than I am.
1: don't do that. I know you're lying to me.
0: <laughs> Brett is a better DM than me. Don't let him bullshit you. Obviously, so you, obviously, just listen to this guy. Shitting gold over there.
1: Somebody's gonna actually play a game with him one, one day, and they're gonna go, "What the fuck was Sean talking about? That guys That guy's all like, "Screw you, you're dead. Uh-huh, you're dead. Your character's dead. Your mom's dead."
0: Dude, the Avalon actual play, man. Come on man, you're you're, you're a star. All right. All
1: right, stop that. Anyway, so when you run wilderness stuff, does that occur to you or is that something that you use in your encounters in the wild? Uh it
0: yes. It well, <sighs> yes. I but I do a lot of uh modules. So I think it depends on the module. If I but yes, if I did something random, I would try to incorporate some of that. But I mean, uh, one of the um Rise of the Rune Lords modules is Bad stuff's happening and and it's not necessarily wilderness, but you get into some of the things that you mentioned like, oh, you go down to kind of a murder scene and, you know, you're CSI in it and you're like, oh, what's going on here? Oh, something was dragged off and you can track it, you know, if you've got a decent tracker or whatever. So some of that's incorporated into some of the good pre-written modules and adventures for sure.
1: I know some folks with some of the pre-written stuff that I've looked at when I've, when I've run them, my character, my players will come through and they'll, they'll miss something. <clears throat> and this is, and I know some people don't always like this or, you know, where you're trying to, it's the quantum ogre concept of, Hey, you have to get them in a certain place. Um, but if you really want them to, you know, move somewhere or whatever, there is a tool that you have in your toolbox as a game master. And that is, you know, one of those random things they find You can warn them of the fact that they have made enemies with the goblin tribe, right? There's nothing in the written adventure that says you've done this. Um, They have ignored every other sign. But um, waking up and finding that there's a goblin arrow stuck in a tree over where you were sleeping or in the middle of the night, some goblin counted coup on you, left a raccoon skull on your on your bedroll. (coughs) Excuse me. Or walking again, you see a war club or you're. In the in the woods on some crazy planet in Star Wars, and you see something, you're like, okay, I don't like this. What is that? Ah, it's just Minox on the, you know, Minox chewing on the power cables, and then something happens, you're like, okay, this is weird. You know, I don't want to spell that movie because people may not have seen it. Um,
0: <laughs> you're talking about the Empire Strikes Back, I can't yeah. even believe you reference that and something like the Minox. That's uh, good, I'm telling you, man, I don't... I'm I'm
1: I'm picking it up. But one of the pieces that where I'm getting at is those random things you can clue the hell out of it from a clue dropping perspective. Um, when you're going through, if your characters are lost, they're trying to figure something out, they don't know quite where they are, and they come upon a cow skeleton. Okay, cows only wander probably a certain distance. Well, okay, how dead is it? Well, maybe there's a farm nearby. There's lots of things that they can infer from finding a backpack, finding uh, a dead deer finding, you know, gun parts. <laughs> I found, uh, so at one point I found a, a gun sight for whatever reason, somebody lost a peep sight off the back of a rifle, happened to step on it and found it. So when you find those things that tells you something about who or what frequents the area, which can lead you to say, oh, we are looking for a people that live here and we've been told to use stone axes. I just found a broken hafted stone axe. I think I might be getting close picking that out of my pocket. Um, the other thing just to, to leave the clues and just random shit (laughs) aside is the, the wilderness time for me, um, to help kind of spice things up is that when the characters are making camp, I try to encourage the PC to PC conversations. When you were running D and D for Kevin, uh, Jim Austin and I, um, my halfling, I was like, I was the cook. I decided I'm the cook. So every time we sat down, my player, I tried to say, I, I whip something up. I've got grandma Gertrude's famous, Herbal That's mushroom right. chicken recipe. Yep. <clears throat> I encourage the hell of that stuff because it's fun. And then the other players, they all got into it. Kevin and and Jimmy and those, and uh, Jim, I should say, and uh, Austin, they came to count on that. I, I assume you're cooking. Absolutely cooking. You're not making chicken. Oh, I got to make the chicken. The chicken's what you got to have. You're on a journey. It's kind of, oh, Jesus. No, Jesus, wordy. I'm sick of the chicken. Um, But that became a thing. The <laughs> One of my favorite wilderness player on player actions was Tabby was playing a druid. She likes playing druids. And my buddy Lenny's playing this paladin who's a complete insufferable ass. He is, he just has no social skills. He's really lawful. Good. He's really devoted to his God, but he's just a social moron. And he's pissed off the druid constantly by insulting her. He doesn't realize he's insulting her, but he's insulting her Elvish heritage and her druidical faith as being lesser and weak. So he looks at her and goes, druid, where shall I sleep tonight? Cause he's never been in the woods before. She goes right there, that lovely depression by that log and the beautiful lush moss. That'll be perfect. You're you'll fit there perfectly. Well, she knows damn well that that's where the dew and the frost collects and he would wake up soaking wet. So I'm like, Oh, okay. I look at tabby. Go, why are you doing that? She goes, because he's an ass. I'm going to put him where similar to what we were just talking about above, right? Where you, he, she told me her intention. Um, she went through and said, this is what I want to do. And, uh, here's the result I'm trying to get. So Lenny looked at me and goes, that makes sense. My guy's kind of an ass. So down he goes, takes a nap. He wakes up. His bedroll is soaked. He's shivering cold. You know, he slept in, you know, his light armor because he's a paladin and he's super tough. And he wakes up at a minus whatever, because he didn't get any sleep. I got to use my armor check penalties, the lack of sleep penalties, all that fun stuff. <clears throat> the other thing that's always fun is when you talk about being outside a true wilderness, be it a desert, Arctic, swamp, whatever, is being alone. Even if it's you and five of your companions, you're fucking alone. If you're far enough out, you're off the road, you're in the mountains. Okay, who takes the first watch? That becomes a thing that people give a shit about because they're thinking, okay, it's going to be pitch dark. Do you have a camp? Do you not have a camp? You know, well, what would happen if we did have a fire? <laughs> exactly <laughs> exactly the cricket
0: <laughs> all alone man what's out there man there's always something ruffling around
1: and then you and that, hear you anything just said, i love doing that because sounds are super fucking deceptive i have stood two hills away from my dad on the base of a hill my dad and i got separated my walkie talkie's not working because i'm in a goddamn swamp and it's just not working right because technology doesn't always function in the wild i'm like god damn it where is he so i screamed they hear him yell. I'm like, "Oh, there he's over there." I walked in the complete opposite direction of where he was because of the way things echoed. So you got a bunch of city kids in the woods. They're adventuring now, no matter what the what the landscape you know be their sci-fi people or fantasy or whatever. And uh, that night sets in. The owls start hooting. The rustling in the grass. All the night predators and prey are out. Amp that shit up, <laughs> right?
0: Man, I remember times. I know this is getting off the beaten path, but it does touch on what you're saying a little bit. So we would when we go and do, you know, we do exercises in the military, man. You and do you, them at night too. You do them at night. And and as a matter of fact, there is plenty of times where you where you have to do them at night cuz that's kind of the deal. You don't uh, when combat breaks out, it's not 8 to 5, right? So
1: yeah, for some reason the enemy does not engage only during normal business hours.
0: Silly like that. And and neither do we, right? We don't stop. Exactly. But uh, you know, you gotta practice light discipline. So what happens is, you know, you're there's no lights, you're driving in the dark, literally. It's called blackout drive. There's literally like a little peephole of a light, and you would be surprised at how much area that actually lights up. Um, you know, cigarettes in the dark, you know, you you, you smoke, you gotta hide your cigarette cherry, um, the lit end, because you could see that from miles away,
1: uh, literally. It's goofy, but until you've encountered that, until you've experienced it like you're talking about, I have sat on the end of one cornfield, um, 120 acres away, I saw a flashlight. Yeah. Just a handheld flashlight, because it's pitch fucking dark. Right. And you can see it flickering.
0: But, the, but I remember, like, so you got to go to, you got to, you got to do your business. You got to go do a number two, right? Cause a number one, uh, you just like kind of walk off a few, you know, a few feet away, 20 feet away, 30 feet, do your thing. Number two though, you got to go find a tree and find somewhere there's pro- nice. There's a process nice, involved in that. Nice and private. There is. There, yes, is. there is. And, but the thing is, is some guys I would know, you'd be like, God damn, you were gone for like an hour or two hours. Like where the hell have you been? guys would go out and they they'd get turned around and they would walk in the complete opposite direction of where they were supposed to come back to so literally they're wandering around a firing point trying to find the track vehicle or or their their foxhole and uh get like holy shit I went in the wrong place and then I ended up on the wrong end of the firing point and when you're in artillery you got a pretty big span between the guns and everything so it's not unusual if you go walking and then everything's in camo right you have netting yeah. up it's
1: so like, you're like you're trying to hide it's, it's not, like you're trying not to be seen so you know? the whole
0: point of like light discipline and going around in the dark is not to be seen and be all quiet so when you go out and take a dump and then you got to come back <laughs> the chances are you might not find where what you're looking for there is
1: a, a Les Stroud, the guy who does Survivor Man, told a story one time about a guy who went out to the outhouse <clears throat> at a deer camp. He went out to his outhouse, walked out, and basically veered a little too far right, and he was discovered two days later. He was still alive, but he wandered out too far in the dark with no flashlight, and he walked off and just kept going and going and going and got turned around. So <clears throat> we're talking about getting lost. An interesting thing about being alone and being lost, I have been lost in the woods twice. It is fucking terrifying. I remember being there and getting turned around and going, I have no idea where I am. I've got a GPS unit with a walkie-talkie on it. I can't raise my dad or my buddy. I can't get anybody because technology doesn't always work in the wild, as I said. Sometimes you don't have a cell phone signal. Sometimes the shit doesn't work. I'm like, Fuck. I look down. I have no compass. Where's my fucking compass? Oh, yeah, it's on my other jacket. I swapped jackets. I didn't bring my compass. Where's my spare compass? Oh, that's in the backpack. I left because I didn't want to bring it with me. You dumb shit. That was fucking miserable. My my father got lost once. And our buddy Albert was found, cut his track. He said, cut Ron's track. My dad's Ron, of course. And Albert says, I'm following your old man. And Albert's shorter than my father and I. We're about 6'3", 6'4". And he said, I could tell your dad was starting to panic. He said, because I had to jump between footsteps because I was able to put my boots in his boot tracks. He said, after a while, I couldn't do that anymore because my legs are too short. And then if it wasn't, if he couldn't knock it down, that's when your dad would walk around it. Otherwise, he just knocked the tree over. He would come up on a dead stump and destroy it because he was on his way east because that's where the road was. So where I'm getting at is the other fun piece is that if you've ever encountered anybody who's been lost, they're in a panic. Right? So that's another fun, even if you will, random encounter. I have bumped into two guys in the woods before who don't know where they are. And they are incredibly grateful when you help them out. If it were a D and D adventure, I'd have been heaped with gold and given a lifetime stay at the end for saving this individual. But it happens. People get lost. And when we talked about being alone, it's really, really fucking freaky. And it's, that's not even like lost in a place with grizzly bears or something horrible. Like, bugbears and goblins and things that want to eat you, right? Well,
0: the only the only thing with role-playing games, though, is that it's all kind of hand-waved. And I think that if you go through it as a as an actual person, you can kind of relate, right? You and I Brett, yep. have had our experiences. Yep. But, like, you know, you're heroes, so you're the ranger, you're the druid, this stuff is, like, the back of your hand, this is kind mm-hmm. of your home turf, this is, like, your backyard. So it's hard to capture some of that, some of that feel and some of that, you know, desperation and, you know, sudden, sudden emptiness or, or just like foreboding. Right. So you come across all the animal skulls and stuff, which I think is fine. You, that's, you know, Hey, this, something's going to be coming around because there's a lot of dead skeletons around here and I wonder what's going on. And, Oh, now you feel the ground tremble. Now, it now it's going to rear its ugly head.
1: Yeah, now the tension ratchets. Yeah. Now, the other piece to do there is, and we hinted at this before, and let me make sure I quote the proper listener here. Ah, Michael Phillips. When Michael's talking about, you know, referencing what he's trying to accomplish, the other thing I like to do is when you have somebody who's taken the time to make a ranger, a druid, an outdoor person of some sort, whatever their character class is, a barbarian, look at them and say, as a barbarian, you know, you would know X, or maybe you would know Y. Mm-hmm or whatever the case is, look at those people and give them an opportunity through role playing to do. And we've talked about this before where they look at you, they can ask you, Hey, I'm looking for a tree. That's it. I'm sick of being lost. I find the tallest tree and I climb to the top of it. And I want to see where we're at. You can say, yes, there's a tree or no, there's not or whatever. Or they ask you, is there a tree?
0: Yes. Regardless of how. Yes. And it's fallen Man. over. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And it's lying <laughs> on the ground. Man, you
1: bastard. Yeah. But it's a great opportunity to let those character classes or personas that really love that shit to shine. Yes. I made a big white hunter one time in a uh, great white hunter was his whole dick in a Call of Cthulhu game. And we finally get to Africa and India and a few other places. And I got to my Lenny was game master and he let me kind of. Oh, yes, I was here before in the Congo and I encountered this, this, this and this. He allowed me because of that background to pull on some things I knew. From a real world perspective, existed at that time. Oh yes, I bagged fifteen tigers in India, type of thing. <clears throat> so it's a great opportunity to give those characters something to really do, and I think that's where, honestly, truth be told, that's where I started spending more time in the, in the wilderness. Was because I love playing rangers; they're fun. I loved Aragorn. I, I like hunting. I love that being outside type of stuff.
0: Well, Brett, hey, Brett. We no, finally in, get in the woods. In, 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 the, in all fairness, though, Brett. Yeah. You are you are a ranger. Well <laughs> I right. mean you you gotta go into the you gotta go into the town every once in a while and do funky stuff and get some money and gold. But yeah, you end up going out I mean
1: other than that, I prefer to be out there, yeah.
0: You know. Sitting yeah. in tree stands and blinds and getting all camoed up and
1: I'm I'm weak compared to some of the hunters I know. Anyhow. But by playing those characters and not having that moment to shine and, and being, finally, I'm in the woods. I look around for animal tracks and I want to, I love to kill a deer and bring it back to camp. You know, when I'm a young kid playing that ranger, finally, oh, there's no deer. That's not the point. We're just going from here to the dungeon. Boom. All right. So, I'm, exactly. I'm a ranger in the dungeon. I'm a druid in the dungeon. Oh, hopefully there's some lichen I can make, grow up and grab you. You know, when you finally get to the wilderness, that's that opportunity for those characters to shine. Really, really shine the bear the barbarian who grew up in that area or the person who's from this planet who was a farmer here before he joined the resistance can sh- can come to this new planet and say hey this reminds me of this farm back on Xeno 7 and on Xeno 7 we used to do this so i'm willing to bet that over the next rise you're going to find uh you know a water trough or something cuz we're really thirsty those are great opportunities for characters to do that stuff um so, Sean, I know you like penalizing people. So this, you like this bit? Um, I, I like I like challenging players, Brad. I don't know,
0: like penalizing. Seems so negative. It Has such a negative connotation to it. I, I really kind of, you know, I, I
1: borderline offends me, Brad. <laughs> <laughs> so I tell you what: um, to challenge them appropriately via the rules. If you want to go me- all mechanics on them and not just talky talky hand wavy. You have train bonuses. You have train penalties. Um, think about the creatures that live there. You've got a troll or two or three trolls that live in the swamp. I designed an adventure one time and uh, patrons of the show who, who were patrons earlier on got a copy of my um, one adventure. I wrote written, I rules tower within there, are a set of goblins that live in the swamp <clears throat> and trolls that live there as well. Um, I did my best to try um, to give those creatures a little something extra you know, how do they utilize their environment? I decided trolls can't drown, so trolls would lurk in really deep swamp pools, and then they would lash out and grab ponies and do things. You know, set up ambushes that way. The swampers, the the goblins that live there, had different skills and things that they could pull off because that's where they lived, um, giving them bonuses. You know to deal with stuff, and it's also a good opportunity. <clears throat> even things as simple as, as your wilderness survival. You're tracking all those skill checks that people dump points into. That's another opportunity for those players that don't, that want to role play to a point, but love to have their skill checks back up what it is they're doing. It's that chance for them to shine. And for those who don't have those outdoorsy skills to be able to say, well, you know, I've got a really good, um, you know, knowledge, history. Do I know anything of the lands in this area? Okay, sure. You might know something that there used to be a great um, horde of, you know, Xenos creatures had invaded this planet and we're driven off by the emperor back in whatever whatever again it's more of an opportunity to pull across all the different breadth and depth of the character sheet make sense
0: it does yeah and as a matter of fact there should be an episode or an example of how we cover maybe encounters for certain classes because you're right How how do you as a game master cater to specific I mean, if you're playing a class game.
1: Well, even character types. Character you know, types, yes. People who like a thing. You right. Know, people who like outdoors character, dungeon character, you know, whatever. Yeah, right. No, that's a good idea. I right. like
0: that. You know, and it could be a series of now we're going to cover X or Y. And then even as, you know, one thing we've toyed around with and we're getting, I'm going off the beaten path here. But one thing is we don't cater to the player, right? We always talk about Game Master. But how do we talk about players and becoming better players. So in that same token, we could say, all right, well, we're going to do an episode on the rain, like we're doing now, ranger, druid, outdoorsy type character types. How do we throw things in front of them that makes them shine? And then, but on the same t- token, how does a, how do you play a ranger or druid? And what things to keep in mind when you're playing those characters? Cause I, you know, one thing I think, Brad is not that, I mean, everybody that listens to us currently knows all these things, right? So for them as players, it's kind of like, duh, right? So, but yeah. every once True. in a while we may get one person that listens to the show that's maybe never played a wizard, never played a ranger. So they're not, they're like, okay, well, I'm going to play. They, somebody says, hey, you play a ranger. It's, it's like Aragorn. And they go, oh, okay. And they get that, but they don't know really what to do. Like, what do I do as a ranger?
1: Yeah, that's interesting too, because you know what I'm talking about here. I'm trying to very swiftly say, "Hey, here's stuff I've seen in the woods and swamps and places I've I've wandered about." Is you know is that a your you know your story you know light discipline and all that stuff from your military time? That that's good stuff because not everybody has that. I've never been in the military. I've not had to deal with that. That's good info. You can't you know. And the other piece I could go with it too is like, how do you research? uh is there any reading you could do outside of outside the course material in order to determine what you need to find good i like that idea we'll have to, we'll have to kick that into the old uh
0: list i think hey we'll just steal the pin from misdirected mark guys
1: yeah we'll borrow,
0: borrow a pin and and we'll stick it in this
1: yeah we'll, we'll i'll steal a pin off of one of the uh uh one of the uh, <laughs> um uh, index cards that I got from Phil a while back. So there you go. It. I'll take I'll take a misdirected mark index pin with a borrowed uh, index card with a borrowed misdirected mark index you know, pin and I'll pin it to my an
0: American made index card because cause I don't think Europeans have them.
1: No, they don't. Well, not since oh. not since Phil cornered the market on them.
0: <laughs> right, right. It's, it's that bastard Vecchione.
1: It's that guy. <laughs> I tell you. All right. So that's our bit on wilderness stuff. Obviously, as always, Sean and I do our best to touch and scratch the topic, but I'm positive there's more to it. So if you guys want to hear more or if you've got better ideas or ways you've done it, as you heard earlier today, uh, our listeners are great. All of y'all are great at getting us your ideas and how you've done things before. Keep it coming and uh, let us know how you do wilderness encounters and settings and all that good stuff. Yeah, let us die roll, man.
0: Yeah, let us know. Let us know if you've come up with an interesting, intriguing wilderness encounter. Because sometimes I think they can be very, and this is Sean speaking. Mine are probably pretty damn bland. Like, hey, it's oh, you got to find a place to camp, or you find a glade. It's great. It's off the off the road or whatever, a few hundred feet, and it's right on the border of the forest. Oh, you set up a watch, and it's very... For me, it's very... Formulaic.
1: Yeah, Yeah.
0: but if you've come up with something interesting that has to do with a wilderness encounter, Brett and I would be all all ears for that. Absolutely. All right, die roll.
1: Die roll time. Die roll. Die roll.
0: Two to four miscellaneous points of gaming and geekery we want to bring to you. Could be even... Uh, inspiration could be go ahead,
1: Brett. All right. So I've got one. I have the book of the Tarask. This is John Arcadian from encoded designs and gnomes to fame. Encoded designs is putting the sucker out. I had the, um, it was awesome. It was at QCC last year, as I've said before on the show, Tom Flanagan from nights and night. And I had a chance to get together and we sat down. I was walking through QCC and Arcadian goes, Brett. What are you doing right now? I said, nothing. He said, you want to fight a trask? I said, you're goddamn right. I want to fight a trask. So I sat down and I grabbed Tom and we fought a Trask. We won. It was, it was crazy hard. Um, but I got a, because I helped him, I helped kind of play test some of the different bits and pieces of what he was up to. John said, Hey, Brett, this thing's going out. He gave me a little preview copy of what's going on. And I will tell you, <clears throat> see me right now. It's coming out February 1st. Um, it it's really, really freaking cool. Um, John has a map of the inside of the trask, you know, with different things that happen if you like when you get swallowed whole, if you're in its stomach near its heart, various different components. It is <laughs> the art looks great. Everything in it, how to use the trask. He has he's played it a bunch, you know, fighting the trask and so forth. And um, you know, if, if you like, hey, people have beat the Trask like this before, says John. Here's what happens if they do that. Oh, you want to stick a bag of holding in a portable hole? Here's what happened. Or here's this other thing. He has a ton of great stuff. They got Ed Greenwood to do the uh, the intro to the thing, which is really cool. Um, It is. It, I'll tell you, it's just cool. The Trask is one of those monsters. Sean, have you ever used the Trask? I have, I have not.
0: I don't think I have.
1: No. I never did because I wasn't sure how to frack to use it, really. I read it went, Oh my God, that thing's just death on just death. Holy cow. It's this mindless, horrible killing machine. And it's been a monster I've never used, but after playing with John and I'll tell you after perusing the uh, overview, he gave me, I want to run a goddamn Tarasque game. It looks really cool. It's a great, if nothing else from a con perspective, it is a great con game to sit down and fight the Tarask. And, uh, I'm I'm really impressed with what John and the team have put together for this thing. It's really really cool, and I'm not just saying that because we're friends with those guys. But it's really cool, and I've uh, got a link in the show notes to the encoder design page where the cool stuff is out there. He's got the advice, the history, the resources, the adventure itself. February first, it'll land. Check it out. It's what, definitely going to
0: be. What is the through, page count on that, bit. Brett? Did he did he list the page count?
1: Oh, let me see. I do not know if he listened. I'm the just page
0: curious, count. like how? I mean, is it? Like a thirty pager, ninety six
1: pager. I don't. I mean, I don't know. You know what? Let me. It's let not me check. not a big deal. We don't have to cover it. Right you now. know what? I'm going to see if I can find out what I have. All right, you I'll look this. that up. I'll look it up. You do your bit. All right,
0: but yeah, go ahead and and make sure you check that out from from John and the folks at Encoded. Do it. All right. So just do it. Holy cow! That's the whole routine. I thought <laughs> that's the whole routine. Gotcha. That's everything. Yeah, that's the whole. Like I get
1: hit there, and bow goes off. You're looking at almost eighty pages, by the way. Yeah,
0: see, that's a that's a thick book on uh, a creature.
1: It is, and he's got like big, like cut, like how you can make like a Tarasque. He's got like big printed. Uh, it's just the images, the pictures in there. Um, I want the bumper. I want
0: the bumper sticker that says "Big Tarasque Hunter,"
1: <laughs> like big game <laughs> hunter, but big Tarasque it. Hunter. It's just it is so cool. It's, a, it's 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 going to be awesome. I hope I hope people grab it cuz it's it's really cool. Anyway, carry on.
0: Uh visual guide to 5e character classes as seen on Reddit. There's an image that does it looks like a mind map where all the classes are kind of related to each other so they've got all the classes of 5e. So, no, that was kind of cool. It's a graphic. Check it out. Uh link in the show notes. Uh I already mentioned uh Hobbs's second uh Hobbs's uh Hobbs and Friends podcast. Check that out covering the OSR. And then we've got a few from listeners. You want to go ahead, Brett? At
1: yeah, Bruce Cunnington, our one of our listeners overseas at the UK, not the—he uh, is not the Goblin's henchman. No, he's not. I, I, no, he's not. But Bruce Cunnington is doing some things for charity, some good stuff for charity. He's got prizes for a special effect charity draw. Um, got links in the show notes there. You can donate as little as one pound. Uh, that's uh, British pounds, of course, for a chance to win. All prizes shipped internationally at his expense. 100% of the money goes to excellent charity, Special Effect. Um, www.specialeffect.org.uk. Take a look. Links in the show notes. Bruce is a great listener. He's been uh, just super supportive of us in the past. So, Bruce, thank you for drawing this to our attention. And uh, hopefully, folks uh, here stateside and anywhere else listening to us, we'll give you a look. Uh, Kevin Lovecraft,
0: uh, he supplied a 1927 map uh, revealing hideouts of Chicago gangsters. So if you're playing a mobster era, uh, 1920s, 30s, um, and you want a map, there's got a link in the show notes for a reference that thanks, Kevin Lovecraft. Hey, thanks, Kevin Lovecraft. Nice. That should be his his voice, Kevin Lovecraft. He's like DJ.
1: DJ Kevin Lovecraft. (laughs) The other one we have is a Princess Bride RPG is coming from Toy Vault using the Fudge system. We've got a link in the show notes. Um, And the final one, I threw this up here just at the tail end, was Tim Shorts, listener in front of the show, pointed out that there's a beginner's guide to body snatching out there.
0: Well, of course there is. Of course there is. Yeah. Forwarded by Brett B.,
1: yeah. Brett B and Sean Kelly. <laughs> not, we man, not me, dude. We we're also known as Burke and hair back in the day. Anybody who knows what that is, is a smart person. Anyhow. So yes, beginner's guide to body snatching. Got a link in the show notes. Um, again, I read that and I'm like, this is just, it's perfect. It's perfect gamer fuel. So good, good stuff.
0: Thanks everybody for supplying die rolls. We appreciate it. And so does everybody else that uh, checks them out. Uh, speaking of checking it out, huh? Visit yeah. visit gameholecon dot com, which is one of our our partner sponsors, people we endorse. Whatever disclaimer we need to put in there for the FCC. We love these people. Yes, game gaming convention. In case you haven't listened to the last, I don't know, forty episodes. episodes. Yeah, <laughs> it's a gamehole. It's a gaming convention in Madison, Wisconsin, every November. It's the first weekend of November. Um it's gonna be fun. It's gonna be a blast. Lots of different guests, lots of different events. We're gonna be there. We'll be sponsoring yep. the keg on Saturday night.
1: We'll playing, have games under our banner the whole bit. Again. Playing some
0: Happy Salmon on Saturday Absolutely. night. Happy Salmon.
1: I almost bought a. I almost bought a, a copy of that game when I was up in Wausau
0: I'll let you borrow it, man. Oh, awesome! Oh, I bet your kids would love that shit. I probably would. <laughs> Of get them camping, playing Happy Salmon in the middle of the woods, and people like screaming, like "What the hell's going on over there?" We're it's just something. playing Happy Salmon. That's fine. No, we're not a cult. I swear. Don't mind the dead <laughs> deer. Fist bump. Fist bump. High five. High five. High high <laughs> five. What in the hell are those people doing over there? <laughs> Anyways, if you can make it, we would love to see you. Love 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 to see you. Uh, Brett and I give hugs, big hugs. So Absolutely. Free hugs. All the time. <laughs> Anyways, uh, next week, Brett. We we know it's on the docket for next week.
1: I got a couple different things I want to bounce off of Sean. One of them is kind of a, uh, basic. Uh, well, you know what? I'm going to keep it a secret for now because I don't. I want to. I want to talk to Sean before I go shoot my mouth off. So we'll see what we come up.
0: When with. When you say bouncing it off of me, Brett, is that a bludgeoning weapon or piercing? Just want to clarify. Well, bouncing is bludgeoning.
1: Piercing doesn't bounce.
0: Well, true, but I just want i want to make sure I'm on the same page.
1: Yeah, it's bludgeoning. Oh, okay. bludgeoning. Okay. Just want to make sure. Absolutely.
0: All right. Well, hey, that's it for this uh, week in Gaming NBS. I'm one of your host, Sean.
1: And I'm Brett. Good night and good game. Mode.
0: This episode brought to you with the help from the following Patrons. Christian Sexy Voice Sereno, Kevin Lovecraft, Joe Swick, Brett's Biggest Fan, Jeff Rademacher, Forrest DeGary, Mark Anthony Benedetti, Bruce Cunnington, Eric Jeppesen, Andy Hall, Shawn Nicholson, Tim Jensen, Chris Steele, Knights of the Night crew, Palladian, Jason Blaglock, Remy Bilodeau, Jason Hobbs Hobbs, Mirko Froilich, Wayne, Lumrunner Humphrey, James Carpio, Not Caprio, Pure Mongro, Lord Tentacle, Corey Johnston, Eric Car, Brandon Barnes, Mark Tasaka, Brett Pazinski, Tim Shorts, Eileen Barnes, Chad Knight, Dan Lavalley, C.W. Mellencamp, Nicholas Bruzzo, Victor Wyatt, Tony the Butcher Baker, Craig Huber, Eli Kurtz, The Lost Sailor, Graham Miner, Todd McGowan, Roger Brasslett, Misdirected Mark Productions, Old School DM, Jason, Christopher Gray, Tabletop Game Talk Podcast, Steven Dragonspawn. For the cost of a coffee shop coffee, you can support the show for an entire month. Consider visiting gamingmbs.com forward slash Patreon. That's P A T R E O N. Thank you to all the patrons, and thank you for listening. This
1: This has has been a Litterbox Litterbox Studio Production. production.